Congress has been moving steadily to complete work on the defense authorization for 2020. Now the Senate has cleared its version. And joining me with reaction from the contractor side, Alan Chavotkin, Executive Vice President and Counsel at the Professional Services Council. And Alan, I guess the good news is the Senate has passed its version, House action coming up. What's the contractor reaction to what you've seen from the Senate version so far? Well, we were very pleased to uh to see the Senate first complete its action uh, so rapidly. You may recall last year the NDA was enacted into law uh, by, the, uh, the, in, by August. So this is uh, good news that the process is moving along. Second good news is while there are some important and valuable acquisition policy and security clearance provisions in the bill, there's not a lot of legislation around acquisition, and that's a, another good news story as well. Uh, on the House side, uh, we'll see that um, legislation going to the floor, we think, uh, next week. Uh, We like the provision on enhanced debriefings and lowering the threshold uh, against which uh, the Department of Defense has to provide an enhanced debriefing to uh, contractors. Uh, We're pushing for an amendment that would allow uh, enhanced debriefings to go across the civilian agencies. Uh, we don't have that amendment filed yet by a by a member. On the Senate side, we're pleased to see the changes on the special pathway for software, uh, some uh, valuable changes making the DOD Mentor Protege program permanent. And Senator Warner probably has five or six provisions uh, incorporated in the Senate NDAA relating to various elements of security clearances. I think those are going to be very easy to reconcile in the conference, although there are any number of significant policy issues uh, that the House and Senate will have to resolve once the bill is passed by both the, by the House as well. Now, this idea of advanced debriefings would lower the dollar size of the contract under which contractors that didn't win could ask for that, correct? That's correct. Today, the, the threshold is $100 million. And this would reduce that to a, a mere $50 million. It'll pick up a significant number of additional procurements. And the, the concept is more, really more important than the, the dollar value. The, the goal here is to, if the agency knows something, they ought to be willing to tell the vendor why they lost and tell them in some great in some detail. That's what the enhanced debriefing is all about. And the Government Accountability Office and other studies have consistently highlighted that the more the agency tells the vendor about why they lost, the less likely the vendor has to protest uh, either at the GAO or the Court of Federal Claims to find out why they lost. We've been strong proponents of this for a long time. We're pleased to see it, and uh, I hope it stays in the final version. Anything else on the procurement side that is noteworthy, as you've pointed out, there's not as much as there has been in previous years. There's a lot going on in cybersecurity that's been both on the legislative and the regulatory side. We're pleased to see some provisions in here to strengthen DOD's uh, work in the cybersecurity area. Uh, There are a couple of provisions regarding documentation of market research, uh, particularly for commercial items. Uh, Here again, uh, good business practice. Uh, the agencies often conduct the market research. They sometimes fail to document what that is. And I think that's another important point to understand the decision-making process. We're pleased to see provisions in uh, both the House and the Senate and some enhancements uh, that would make that applicable government-wide uh, through an amendment uh, that's included in the Senate-passed NDAA. We're speaking with Alan Chabotkin. He is executive vice president and counsel at the Professional Services Council. And you mentioned the security clearance process, which 
I guess if it was a football, it's nearing the hands of the wide receiver at this point at Defense Department. Yes, very much so. The transition from uh, OPM to uh, the Department of Defense uh, became official June 24th. Uh, They're obviously continuing to work to transition people and processes. The good news is that the transition is more people aren't going to physically move, systems aren't going to physically move, so they'll they'll have a new plaque on the door uh, and uh, a new letterhead uh, to use. Uh, It'll take through the end of uh, September, October, and maybe beyond that to finish the transition over from uh, OPM to DOD. Good news is it's all government-wide. And uh, the the plan is to have no interruption of the practices. Uh, the National Background Investigation Bureau is making good progress in reducing the backlog of background investigations, uh, and we hope that the integration in DOD and the consolidation with other related functions will bring a little bit of economy and efficiency to the process. And you mentioned a couple of things where the House and Senate might need to do some reconciliation. Anything of note? Well, it's going to start at the top line. Uh, They are several billion dollars apart in how much money to authorize for the Department of Defense and how to get there. Uh, The Senate is at uh, roughly $750 billion, uh, the House at a mere $733 billion. Uh, But it's more than just that, uh, that money difference. Uh, there's a significant policy differences that have to be worked out. Very few of those are in the acquisition policy section or even along the um, responsibilities for uh, the Department of Defense management uh, issues, the role of the new defense uh, counterintelligence security agency or uh, the role of the CIO. Very, there's some differences, but they're not significant. I think the major policy shifts around overall money and how to achieve that where the department is going to have the flexibility, those will be the significant policy areas that will have to be worked out. And as we saw late last week with respect to the border funding, sometimes those members move in directions you might not have expected. Well, and that was certainly the case with the uh, supplemental appropriations for for the the border uh, that was enacted. Uh, and some good news in there. Actually, there's an interesting provision in there as well. It has nothing to do with the border, but uh, there was a provision that provided for an extension of the uh, ability of the Department of Homeland Security to use uh, other transactions authority. Uh, that had lapsed. Uh, this supplemental appropriation uh, has a little provision stuck in page four of the rural bill that allows the uh, uh, Department of Homeland Security to continue using other transactions, but only through September 30, 2019. They'll have to come back in in another legislation, maybe the regular appropriations or some other bill to get a further extension. And briefly, I wanted to ask you about your take on the release of the cloud smart policy and the data center optimization policies. These were advances of long-term existing policies, but you saw something in there that is a little subtle people need to pay attention to. I was uh, interested to note the the changing role of the Office of Management and Budget in both of those policies and maybe uh, one or two others like the uh, shared services uh, policy that was issued in April. Uh, typically, the Office of Management and Budget functions as a policy-making shop and then supervises the how the agencies are implementing it. But in both the uh, cloud the smart policy as well as in the uh, data center optimization policy, OMB has taken a much more aggressive role. They're now seeking to prohibiting agencies from investing 
uh, in certain activities without OMB's affirmative approval. And it's always been subtle through the budget side, but now they're making it very explicit that agencies need to uh, have uh, OMB approval before they can incur certain expenses or even budget for some of them. Uh, and as I said, the OMB plays a very central role in support of government activities and support of the president's agenda. Uh, but now they're putting themselves into the decision-making process. I thought that was an interesting evolution of where some of these policies have come. Be interesting to see how agencies react and whether they're able to continue to fulfill the responsibilities that they're being imposed upon in both of those policies um, uh, under that new uh, OMB requirement. Alan Chabotkin is Executive Vice President and Counsel at the Professional Services Council. Hey, thanks so much. Always a pleasure, Tom. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on demand. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or Podcast One.